At the end, I'm going to tell what I would call a campfire story. I mean, what I mean is there was nothing insulating me from the ground on that night. I ended up falling asleep right there next to the fire. As you can tell from the title, we're also going to talk about trekking poles and why they're so dumb. <laughs> Slobbering all over and wanting. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's a true story. These are not people who are critical thinkers. After all, walking is not skiing, is it? I slept so cozy, I might as, I might as well have been in my bed at home. That was cold. That was really, really cold. I think the high during the day, 13 degrees Fahrenheit, he had learned to walk to the nearby gas station. Remember, there's a part where Dumbo gets into this drunken stupor. Uh, he wakes up and realizes that he's perched up high up in this tree. That happened to my brother. If a character in a story that you want to write collapses in the middle of a snowy field at night, is it realistic to think that that character could survive the night Welcome back, everybody, to the Practical Woodsman Podcast. How's your week going? Mine is going pretty good, except for some exposure to COVID. We'll see how that whole thing plays out, but otherwise, everything's fine and dandy. Got a couple of good things to palaver with you about this week that I hope you'll find interesting, that you might even enjoy. And that is sure <laughs> to get a bunch of people's britches in a big old knot while we're at it. But um, that's part of the fun of this. In case you ain't noticed by now, I take a certain amount of pleasure in saying things that on some level people already know is true, but that for some reason nobody's supposed to say out loud. The three topics that we're going to get into this week is number one a story idea so let's say that uh, I'm writing a story I'm not but this was presented to me a story where the character collapses in the middle of the woods or in the middle of a snowy field in the middle of the night would it be realistic for this character to survive until morning even if found unconscious, would there be frostbite? Interesting topic there. We're going to get on into that here in a second. Number two, as you can tell from the title, we're also going to talk about trekking poles and why they're so dumb. And finally, number three, we're going to, I'm adding, I'm creating a brand new regularly occurring section to this podcast. And that's going to be campfire stories. So at the end, I'm going to tell what I will call a campfire story. And you guys are going to really enjoy that, I think. Before we get into all these things, let's do a few announcements. Number one, we I have started an online community for the Practical Woodsman. It's not on Facebook. It will never be on Facebook. I chose a platform that ensures uh, that nobody will ever be censored for trying to hold a legal conversation about anything and that's on the locals platform l-o-c-a-l-s and uh, you can join by going to the practical woodsman dot locals l-o-c-a-l-s dot com another way you can join our group is by downloading the locals.com app from the app store and just searching for the practical Woodsman. Announcement number two. The show is now available in video and in its audio only format. So if you're currently listening on iTunes or Spotify or whatever, you should know that there is a video version of this show. You can see me on YouTube and on Rumble. I hope you'll subscribe to those channels. On the flip side, if you're watching me on YouTube or Rumble, you should know that if you're driving down the road and you can't, you're not in a position to be watching videos, that the show is also available in an audio-only format on all the major podcast platforms. Announcement number three. 
there will regularly be three different show types for the practical woodsman. Number one is it adventures. That's just me out in the woods doing things in the woods. So those will be adventures labeled as such. And then there's this podcast. And the third type will be shorts. And that will be me showing off gear or maybe it'll be a clip of uh, some time in the woods, things like that. Let's get into answering this question about if a character in a story that you want to write collapses in the middle of a snowy field at night. Is it realistic to think that that character could survive until morning, even if found unconscious? How about frostbite? Would the person just be ate up with frostbite? Well, let me tell you a story. Somebody I, I know real well, <laughs> real, real well, it's my brother, used to drink himself into oblivion. And then in the middle of the night, he'd run out of alcohol. When this would happen, he would drunkenly decide to walk a mile or so to the nearby gas station to buy more alcohol. He'd already learned the hard way that driving in that condition (laughs) weren't a very good idea. And the local police had their eyes on him. So... He had learned to walk to the nearby gas station. Now, there was a large open field between my brother's house and the main road that led up to this gas station that I've already mentioned. On more than one occasion, I mean, this is true, his wife would wake up in the middle of the night or early morning hours, and uh, she would realize that he was missing from her bed. So, knowing my brother, she would put on her heavy winter clothes and then she would go out into that field. You remember that field I mentioned behind their house? Walk out into that field to search for him. You see, what had been happening is that my brother, on the walk home from the gas station, through that large open field with his newly acquired alcohol, would begin to admire the moon up in the sky. The solitude the peace, the quiet, and also the cushy, spongy feel of the large grasses beneath the snow there in that field. And he'd think to himself, boy, that sure feels spongy and soft and comfortable. So he would lie down there in that field, in that cushy, comfy, springy grass, all covered in snow out in that field, and he'd fall asleep. So then many hours later, his wife would come across him with her flashlight, wake him up, take him back home, no problem. Now I am not recommending that anybody do this. I'm just telling you the truth of what my brother did many, many times and got away with. Now a lot of times he wouldn't even remember taking that walk or having left the house. But that really happened many times. Run out of booze, decide to walk up the road to uh, to the gas station, cut through this big old field, get, get to the gas station, get his alcohol, come walking back, cut through that field, lay down in the field in the middle of the wintertime, covered in snow this field, and be asleep out there for three, four hours. For his wife would wake up, realize that he's not there, and go get him. One morning, like, uh, sort of like Disney's Dumbo. Did you ever see the original Dumbo? Not the remake, but the original. Remember, there's a part where Dumbo gets into this drunken stupor. Uh, he wakes up and realizes that he's perched up high up in this tree. That happened to my brother. Very, something very similar happened to him. He, uh, one morning after one of these trips to the to get more alcohol, he woke up in the morning to the sound of somebody ordering food through the intercom system of the local Taco Bell. And opening his eyes and slowly looking around, he realized that he was perched in the top branches of a pine tree next to that Taco Bell restaurant. 
he can't even, he couldn't even remember when he's telling me this story he couldn't even remember what he was thinking or why the idea of climbing that pine tree in the middle of the night was such an attractive idea in the first place but apparently he was on one of his walks back from that walk up the road to get alcohol saw that tree thought it looked comfortable climbed up into that tree high up into that tree and fell asleep up in the upper branches the only thing that woke him up was the taco bell the next morning this also happened in the middle of the winter time so think about it not only did he sleep the whole night up in those branches without falling out but it was in the middle of the winter time and he didn't freeze to death you know this was just a, this was another snowy winter night so the answer to the original question is that it is not a stretch to say that a person properly dressed could sleep outside on a snowy night in the open and not die the biggest issue is not the fact that it's winter time nor is the biggest issue the fact that there is snow on the ground after all snow is an amazing insulator the bigger issues are dress how is the person dressed temperatures elevation which is basically the same thing and when you talk about the higher the elevation it's what you're talking about talking about lower temperatures more wind all those things so dress temperatures wind elevation those sorts of things are much more important than is a person falling asleep in the winter time outside or not or is the person falling asleep in their snow outside or not those things are kind of irrele- irrelevant to the more important issues of temperatures those sorts of things you know this trip i just got back from that was cold that was really really cold we're talking i think the high during the day during most of the days was like 13 degrees fahrenheit Uh, what is 13 degrees fahrenheit in celsius 13 degrees fahrenheit is minus 10.56 degrees celsius okay minus 10 celsius that was the high temperature during the first couple of days so at night it got down to well below zero I, i would say the first night what i remember about that trip we were out in the mountains if you want to see the video of that it's uh, adventure 10 part one two and three so you can see you know my whole experience out there at night on that very first night even though it was probably zero degrees fahrenheit i slept so cozy i might as i might as well have been in my bed at home on the second night it was cold uh, there was also a lot more wind on the second second night so you know that was a contributor to the fact that that it was a lot more more miserable in those conditions because of such low temperatures unless i'm just sleeping right up next to the fire uh, i don't think that would have gone too good but if it's just freezing i've slept outside many many times when it's just freezing well that would be another consideration that i didn't mention earlier how close is the person does the person have a fire does the person have a fire going so you can sleep right out in the open right up next to your fire don't have to be in a shelter or anything as long as it's a still night even if it's really cold uh, you can get away with it very very uh, easily so I myself sober on many occasions have fallen asleep in the open on snowy freezing nights or even below freezing nights deep in the backcountry Uh, usually next to my campfire many many times and the reason why this has happened is pretty simple I was cozy a couple years ago I went like kind of on a spontaneous trip out into the backcountry with uh, my dogs and I was doing a live stream out there I had a signal and I was doing a live stream had my fire going I, I intended the whole night to put up a shelter and I just never got around to it I got off the live stream, I was sitting there next to the fire, got to feeling cozy. I'll tell you this too, this is another thing, a lot of people have a hard time believing. I had nothing 
b- below me. I mean, what I mean is there was nothing insulating me from the ground on that night. It was I was sitting straight on the ground. And like I said, I had, I think, a pad that I w- w- wanted to put down. I had a shelter that I wanted to put up and all these things to do. But it got laid on me, and I was so cozy right next there to the fire. I ended up falling asleep right there next to the fire. Did not even put anything down on the ground to insulate me from the ground. And that was in the middle of the wintertime. That was like in uh, mid-December. And I slept like a princess, man, I'm telling you. Cozy as could be. Ended up waking up about 4 o'clock in the morning to take a leak. And that was the only thing that woke me up. Got up to take a leak, and uh, that was it. I mean, I, I just I slept the whole night through, right next to the fire, right on the plain ground. Uh, no problem whatsoever. So there's the answer to the question. If you're going to write a character, falls asleep out in the middle of the woods in the middle of the night, in the middle of the wintertime, snow all over the ground, that's not enough to determine whether or not that person could, or that character could realistically sleep through the night comfortably. You have to know more things, like how's the person dressed? What specific temperatures are we talking about? Is the wind blowing? You know, the wind will change everything. The wind will change everything. The wind can make a 30... Yep, I hate doing these conversions between Fahrenheit and Celsius, so let's do it this way. The wind can take a day that is where the, the temperature is right at freezing and, and turn it very, very dangerous. And then you can have other days where the the temperatures are at freezing not dangerous at all because it's just calm there's no air moving around there's no wind chill and stuff like that especially if you're dressed right and we have this saying around here that uh, no such thing as bad weather there's only such a thing as being inappropriately dressed let's talk about why trekking poles are so dumb yeah, this is going to get me into trouble. A lot of people are going to get mad at me. Before we get to talking about trekking poles, let's talk about the difference between hiking, backpacking, and camping. All right, these are the terms that everybody around me who is not into these things, I mean, they, they're they into them like I'm into uh, uh, sewing which is to say, I don't know it intimately. I just do it from time to time. Uh, So everybody around me and all over the internet, all over social media, you see people using these things interchangeably. They don't know the difference from one to the other. And um, there's a huge difference. As many of you know, there is a huge difference. Hiking, backpacking, camping, what's the difference? People see a lot of the videos or the pictures of trips that I come back from, and they go, oh, oh, it looks like you had a good time. I love camping, and I want to slap them in the face, as you'll understand why here in a second, hopefully. Same thing. People see the things I do, and they go, oh, yeah, that's nice. I love hiking, and I want to slap them in the face. Here's why. I don't do hiking and I don't do camping. What I do is a lot more difficult, requires a lot more knowledge, a lot more energy, a lot more dedication, a lot more everything than this silly camping stuff and hiking stuff that everybody wants to equate what I do with. Hiking is just walking in the woods. That's all it is. Now why there's a special word for just walking in the woods, I'm not sure. All it really does is serve to confuse the average person. But hiking is exactly that. It's just walking in the woods. So people say, oh, look, you love being in the woods, right? So you want to go on a hike sometime. And I go, no, I don't, because I, I hate hiking. Oh, but you do it all the time. I do it as a part of backpacking. I don't hike. You know, so what is hiking? Hiking is walking in the woods. You go into the woods, you walk around for a little bit, and you come back. Your your whole intention is to be out there for maybe a half hour, an hour, maybe five hours, but your intention is to go in and come back out. Maybe go in, have a sandwich, (laughs) 
next to a creek and then to come on out. I don't do that. For me, that's like having sex without any intention of having an orgasm. Why even bother? I don't do hiking. But that's what hiking is. You, you know what I'm talking about. It's going in, walking around a little bit in nature, and then coming out. What skill does that require? What skill does hiking require? It requires zero skill. Why? Because it's just walking. You're just walking in the woods. Makes no sense to me. I don't know why people do it at all, to be honest with you. Then there's backpacking, which is what I do. Um, and to distinguish it from like European backpacking, <clears throat> we can say it's wilderness backpacking. But wilderness backpacking is when you have mapped out a journey through wilderness. There's nothing out there. So you've got the linear trips, you got the circular trips, or the loop trips they call them. If you're doing a linear, clearly you're going to be parking at one end, generally, and then you're going to have to have some way to get from the end of that trail back to your car. So usually what me and if I'm doing a linear journey, uh, leave my car at one end of a trail and I'll have a friend, we'll drive around to the end, the other end of the trail, and then we hike back toward the other point. You see what I'm saying? But anyway, the, the whole thing with wilderness backpacking is that you're traveling over distance, over many days and nights in the wilderness. And what does that mean? It means that everything you need, you've got to carry with you. It's living and traveling through wilderness for a certain amount of time and distance. And since every ounce that you're carrying is going to feel like a pound about an hour after you get in, backpacking requires great discipline in separating necessities from luxuries and for getting by with much less. So we've talked about hiking, which is sex without any intention to have an orgasm then we talked about backpacking which is like the whole experience right you're you're out there you're truly experiencing the wilderness you're truly experiencing nature you true you truly are left to your own devices you truly have to um, be self-sufficient in those circumstances don't you so what's camping by its modern meaning, camping is when you set out for a specific spot, you set down a camp, you leave your camp there. And in our modern day, this usually involves camp sites that are rented, that are not too far off a main road, that you can drive your vehicle right up to. These are spots that barely, barely pass as being in the quote-unquote woods at all. In fact, around here in the States, I don't know about where you folks are all at, but here in the States, when you go camping, quote-unquote, there's people right there. There's total strangers camped right next to you on either side and all around. Kids running around all night making noise. There's bathrooms right there and showers. This is camping. Think about how luxurious camping can be. You can literally bring your home refrigerator, monster flat screen TV, and living room sofa with you as long as you've got space in that vehicle. So, camping, modern camping, is not a real outdoor activity in itself. Folks aren't going to like me saying that. It's still true, what I just said whether you like it or not. Now here's the thing. Backpacking, wilderness backpacking, as a, an activity, inherently by its very nature, includes both hiking and camping. But hiking as an activity does not inherently include backpacking or camping at all. Camping as an activity does not inherently involve backpacking or hiking at all. So are you confused yet? 
Hiking does not involve camping. And hiking does not involve uh, backpacking. Camping does not involve backpacking, and camping also does not involve hiking. You can drive right up to a campsite and camp if you're camping. Back to the question about walking sticks. Now, this is where we're trying to get to, right? I answer this as a wilderness backpacker, not as a hiker, nor as a person who goes camping. I answer this as a true wilderness backpacker. Walking sticks, in general, do not make walking easier. So question might be, you know, these, these trekking poles, do they make hiking or walking easier? The answer is no. They don't make walking easier. Before you get your uh, britches all in a big old twist, hear me out. I'm talking about the actual walking part, the actual walking through the woods part. They don't make that easier. They make it harder. They, You see, I've got a couple right here. This one is a telescoping uh, walking stick, and you say, well, if they're so dumb, why do you have one? Well, because I needed to buy one to make sure that they were as dumb as I thought, as I knew that they were. And yes, they are dumb. But here's a telescoping walking stick, or what do they call them? Trekking poles. All right. Trekking pole is marketing. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. The first time I, I heard of a trekking pole, I couldn't believe it. I literally couldn't believe it. I said to myself, "People aren't actually buying those things. People aren't buying those. I know people aren't going to go buy those things. Well, they're now you know, what a billion dollar industry. These stupid man-made walking sticks. Let me tell you why I thought there's no way on earth people will actually spend money on the, those things." Because when you walk into the woods, walking sticks are lying around everywhere. They're lying around everywhere. Remember, I grew up in the woods my entire life. My Every day I spent deep in the woods. I know what the woods are like. They're, natural walking sticks are lying around everywhere. You don't have to cut down trees for them. They're just lying around everywhere. You take one put it under your boot, break it to the size you want it, and voila, you have a free walking stick. And you didn't even have to harm the environment for it or anything. So when I first saw these things, I thought, well, that's the next pet rock. You guys remember what pet rocks are? Or do maybe some of you have never heard of what a pet rock is. Oh, why, when was it? Back in the late 80s or something like that? Somebody got the idea to take a rock, just a rock off the ground, package it, market it as a pet rock with a name and a personality and all that stuff, and to sell it in stores and the person become a millionaire overnight. That's That's true. Now, if somebody can convince me that these dumb man-made walking sticks aren't exactly that then I'll eat my hat but you ain't going to convince me of that I've thought about this long and hard and as you can see I even bought myself one of these dumb man-made walking sticks so that I couldn't be accused of talking about something that I have not tried myself so that to, to get us started that's my bias against walking sticks. I just think they're I think they're dumb for dumb people. <laughs> and like I said, I know that's going to put a, put a hair in a lot of people's biscuits. And I would love for you to to let me know just how offended you are in the comments section here of this episode. We'll we'll talk it out. Maybe you've got some points that I haven't thought of. But that's my take on the walking sticks. The the man-made walking sticks. These are it's, it's mark, a marketing genius when you can just walk into the woods there's sticks lying all over the place pick one up walk with it for a little while when you get done with your little silly hike uh, you can just toss the stick on the ground next person comes along gets to use it 
or there's you know 40 million other completely free walking sticks lying around in the woods they don't need that one there's plenty to choose from but no you're going to go to uh, rei aren't you or cabela's and you're going to spend 40 dollars on these things because because for the same reason you'd buy a pet rock because you have been fooled into thinking there's value there beyond what it, what you could just get from picking a stick up off the ground. All right, so there's my big rant about these silly walking sticks. Back to whether they make walking easier. They don't. They're burdensome. They're a pain in the hoochie-coochie to carry in your hand or to carry in your pack. You know, try to find room in your pack. You know, Do you remember when we were talking about backpacking? By the way, before I put this away, I would just like to tell you that I did not spend $50 on these things. I waited until Walmart, my local Walmart, got them. And uh, I think this one was on sale for like 10 bucks. That's the only reason why I went ahead and bought one. I would not have spent more than 10 bucks on this. But I've got it anyway. Back to what makes backpacking, you know, the kind of the inherent nature of backpacking is that everything comes down to weight and space. Weight and space is at a premium. You know, I, I'm trying not to carry more than 20 pounds on my back because every pound that you're carrying on your back robs you of enjoyment of the journey, the backpacking journey. So it takes a lot of wisdom to honestly separate what is luxury from what is necessity and vice versa. What is necessity from luxury? So everything is uh, fighting for a spot in your pack and it all comes down to space and weight. So does a walking stick make walking, the actual act, you know, the part where you're walking, does it make that easier? The answer is no. It's burdensome, takes up a lot of space. Your pack is already, everything is already fighting for space in your pack. So if you're going to take a, a walking stick or a couple walking sticks, you're either going to have to carry it in your hands the whole time or make room for it in your pack. Here's what walking sticks do make easier. Not the walking part. Now, I know everybody's flipping out right now. Oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. No, I do what I know what I'm talking about. You're not listening. They do not make the walking part easier. But what they do make easier are things like this. Crick crossings. So let's say that you're trying to cross a crick and there's a log down. So like a natural balance beam across the crick and you want to cross that natural balance beam. It's very nice. Now I've got a wooden stick I'm showing everybody here on the camera. It's really nice that when you're crossing that natural balance beam that you can put your staff or your walking stick down into the water, hit the ground, hit the bottom of the creek there, and hold yourself. So for balance, it's a wonderful thing. Your walking stick can go down in, into the water, provide you with support as you walk. How about uh, climbing or descending a, a mountain? So when you're climbing the mountain, the reason why a walking stick or a, a staff is very nice is that for a rest, you can lean up against your staff. You can support yourself with it. Oh my gosh, especially you're going up 4,000 feet. Oh my gosh, you get about halfway up and your heart is about pounding out of your chest and you feel like you're going to die and you just feel uh, like, <laughs> like it's never going to end. It sure is nice to have a walking stick or a staff to, uh, to plant in the ground and lean up against and to support your weight. That's, that's very nice. Likewise, I don't know about yuns, but when I'm going down a mountain, that's when it's hardest for me. It's actually harder for me going down the mountain than going up the mountain. Yeah, I got one bad knee. I had a surgery one back when I was a teenager. And it don't handle those downhills too too awfully good these days. So it's very nice for me to put my staff down and um, 
and, and to use that to get down the mountain so i take a step stop put the staff staff down uh you know make sure it's very secure and then i kind of walk myself down the staff and i do that all the way down the mountain those are very beneficial reasons to use a walking stick or a staff it allows you to maintain a sure footing to control your descent much more stably uh, is that a word to control your descent with much more stabilization and uh, control that descent much better how about this some people use shelters as I do that can be set up using a single staff or walking stick or trek you know really dumb trekking pole and um, those are the type of shelters that I gravitate towards I consider those the best uh, shelters that exist ones that can just be set up with a single staff so usually a, like a, a TP shelter and those are very nice now here's what I'll tell you for any TP shelter that's worth my time no telescope and trekking pole will extend f uh, high enough for my shelters even there where a trekking pole might be worth my time completely worthless to me not worth my time this staff that I'm holding here right now I got it down against the ground you folks who are watching the video can see it's just a wood staff uh, I went out on a backpacking trip two years ago in the winter time got up on top of this mountain and there was a uh, a tree that was downed the tree was still living it hadn't been down for very long i don't know if a storm took it down or or what took it down but the, the tree was snapped off and it was lying there and um but it was still alive and so while it was still alive i cut myself a section off of it to the height that i needed for my shelter my tp shelter which is a lux hex peak uh, two person it's exactly the height i need to pitch my shelter and so this this is what I like. Now I have a black diamond megalite tent. Pitches the exact same way. You stake down the corners, and then you just uh, staff up the middle of it, or a stick up the middle of it. But that tent or that shelter has an even higher roof. So I would need one. Oh, I'd need a staff with about a foot, foot and a half more to it. So if I take that shelter, I'd have to find a different staff to use. But I do find that very, very beneficial, having a walking stick. The benefits that it does bring, crossing creeks, pitching my shelter. How about this? Uh, warding off snakes comes in real handy when you come across a timber rattlesnake on the trail. To be able to, you know, shoo it away with your stick rather than having to go searching for a stick or something like that. So that, there are some benefits to having them. Making walking easier is not one of them. Climbing, descending, crossing creeks, pitching shelters. It does make those things easier. But otherwise, let's say that you don't have any problems with your hips or your knees or anything like that. It doesn't make walking easier. It makes walking more burdensome. Just like anything you have to carry. That isn't aiding that activity in any way. It's just extra unnecessary weight and bulk is what it becomes. Now, a natural staff, here's something that um, I would say that a one of those dumb trekking poles might potentially excel at that a natural staff does not. A trekking pole collapses so it can be made smaller and be hung off the back of your pack. This natural staff here that I have doesn't do that. So if I take this with me into the woods, then it's stuck with me the whole time I'm out in the woods, unless I just want to throw it down. See, you can't do that with your dumb trekking pole, can you? You can't just throw it on the ground if you get tired of it. I can. With any stick I'm carrying, any staff I'm carrying out of the woods, if I get tired of it and I'm and I don't mind losing it I can just throw it down on the ground and I'm free of it in the vast majority of cases where I see people using these dumb man-made walking sticks they're doing so pointlessly 
for reasons that have more to do with social conditioning and and a lack of critical thinking, a kind of a vulnerability to marketing, more so than for any legitimate need or benefit that these man-made sticks are providing them. Walking on a mild, relatively flat trail does not require a trekking pole. Now again, let me add that perhaps you're 80 years old. Perhaps you're 80 years old, you have bad knees or bad hips or something like that. I would not fault you at all for walking with uh, walking sticks, whether they be man-made or natural. But that's rare. And it, when you see these people using these things, that is not usually the case. Usually when I see these people using them, we're talking about 25-year-olds, 35-year-olds, 40-year-olds, walking with not just one of them in their hands, but two of them in their hands. You know why? Because that's the way they're marketed. And they see those and they go, oh, well, that's, that's the way I'm supposed to look when I'm out there. I'm not, I'm not legit unless I got a couple of those in my hands. People hiking with two trekking poles on subtle winding trails, looks, look, they look absolutely ridiculous. Th these are not people who are critical thinkers. After all, walking is not skiing, is it? Walking is not skiing. So why perfectly healthy people need to be walking with two of them on subtle winding trails on a hike right because by far what people do is hike and do you remember what hiking is is walking in the woods for a little bit going home back to your big screen tv these people who you see walking around with these not just one two trekking poles got no problems with their knees no problems with their hips nothing like that but you see them middle of the summer pretending to be skiing in their tennis shoes through the forest should not be given responsibility for decision making of any sort in any area of life whatsoever because clearly they are not capable of critical thought so that's the show before you guys hit the comments section up by telling me that I'm wrong because hiking poles make uneven terrain, ascending and descending mountains, crick crossings, and things like that much easier. Just remember that throughout this conversation, that's exactly what I said they were useful for. So there's not we're not we don't disagree there. I'm talking about walking, the walking part of of a hike, not the crossing a crick part, not the climbing a mountain part not the descending a mountain part I'm talking about the walking part they do not make that easier they make that more burdensome in my opinion trekking poles you know man-made walking sticks are just another thing that alienates people from any genuine experience in the woods you know with the the natural world oh my gosh that's that's dirty it's not ergonomic it's not as comfortable in my hand. What if there's bugs on it? Theoretically, what is the whole purpose of going into the woods at all? It's to connect with the natural world. What lends itself better to that? You being content picking up one of the millions of free sticks lying around and getting it in your hand, feeling it, walking with it, using the environment and the environment's resources that are there free for all or spending a hundred dollars on these things or fifty dollars on these things or sixty dollars or whatever they are that are made by man have nothing to do with the woods are ergonomic unnaturally ergonomic in your hand unnaturally have the rubber door stopper at the bottom and all those things. Which one lends itself better to the whole purpose that you are supposed to be out there in the first place? It's clearly going out there, allowing nature to provide. Like I say, you don't have to cut down any good trees, any live trees. You walk for a little bit, you will find a dead branch to break down to the size that you want. 
and then that's fine. And you know, if you're just hiking, if you're just hiking, what are you going to be at? You're going to be out there for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes anyway. Walk with it for a little bit. When you start getting back close to your car, you toss it down on the ground. You give it back to Mother Nature. Then it doesn't end up in a landfill, does it? Um, it doesn't have to, you're not contributing to the pollution of the environment and the atmosphere and all that stuff in the production of it, are you? So something to think about. Here's the campfire story. Now I'm going to see if I can turn off the lights here and we can set this up for like a proper campfire story hour. Let's see what we can do here. Okay. I don't want to look spooky, but let's, let's do this. Okay. There we go. Okay, now this is the campfire. I'm going to try to find a campfire uh, uh, video so I can put an actual fire there. We can hear the crackling and all that stuff. Here's my story, my campfire story. You guys all ready? You comfortable? Enjoying the fire? Enjoying your time out here in the, the deep, dark woods? On this last trip I took out into the mountains, it was freezing, freezing cold. On one night I had a, a stew that I wanted to make. And so that's what I did. Got all my ingredients out, start working on the stew. My goodness, it was freezing cold. My hands were, <laughs> it was cold. My hand, my hand, my finger, fingers were freezing up on me. Could barely move my fingers. And I worked on the open fire making the stew with my buddy there. Every time I make this stew, he, I can hear him licking his lips and he says to me, man, that smells good, man, that smells good. I call it practical woodsman stew. I kind of, it's the same, different ingredients every time, but same process. Anyway, got this stew made. It took me, oh, I reckon it took me an hour and a half before it was finally all cooked soft and everything and, and I could eat it. Before I started digging into it, I got it off the fire there. Let's take a look. I cooked it, by the way, in my Crusader cup. My NATO or BCB British Crusader cup. My buddy says, boy, that smells good. Like He always says that. Every time I make this stew, he says that. I said, well, you want some? Oh, no, he said, I just finished eating. Come on, you can have some. No, no, he doesn't want any. I really pushed him. Oh, come on now, Jeff, take some. He, he didn't take it. But anyway, I, I ate it all up. It was delicious, of course. And I uh, went to bed that night feeling good, tummy all full of delicious stew. And the next day, we were out there, and then the next day we were out there, and finally the trip come to an end. We come out of the woods after being out there for, you know, many days. Got back home. First night that I got home, I'm lying in bed just kind of replaying in my mind that whole trip. How fun it was and the challenges and stuff. I do that on every trip. I get back. First thing I do is I think about the things that were more difficult than I feel like they needed to be and what I could do to improve upon that thing for the next trip. But anyway, I was sitting there thinking and, and I remembered <laughs> that on the first night we were out there, remember, I told you the, the high temperature was something like 13 degrees during the day. I remembered that at about 4 o'clock in the morning on that first night I woke up in the middle of the night like 4 o'clock in the morning oh man it was cold really cold I had to pee like <laughs> I had to pee really bad and I started to get out of my bag out from underneath all my covering and all that stuff and felt that wind and I said oh my gosh I am not putting my shoes on my boots and, and climbing out of here so I'm going to have to figure up some other solution. And I remember now, you know, that I'm back home. I remember that what I did was I took my Crusader mug and I took a big, long, nice, <laughs> wonderful pee. 
hit right into my Crusader cup. And then I opened up the front of my shelter and I just tossed the pee out the front door. And I said to myself, well, I'll just have to remember to rinse that out real good in the morning when I do finally get up. And do you know, I never did do it. I completely forgot to do it. And so that night when I cooked up my stew, I cooked it up and a lot of my piss from the night before and uh, <laughs> you know it's my piss so I don't mind so much but <laughs> I thought boy my my buddy he sure dodged a bullet he sure dodged a bullet turning down my delicious stew that he was <laughs> slobbering all over and wanting <laughs> so <laughs> that's a true story but hey there's a tip for you your pee comes out sterile so if it's really cold on any given night feel free to take a pee in your crusader cup or your mug whatever you've got there in the tent with you and then just open up the tent and throw that out and uh, rinse it out in the morning when you get up or even there in the tent you know that's another thing you can do if I had plenty if I had more water in my uh, water bottle then I would have done that. I would have poured some water in there, rinsed that out, but uh, I only had a little bit left in there and I didn't want to use it for that. But, you know, that, there's a tip for you. You can pee in your cup, throw that out, rinse it out a little bit, it'd be perfectly good. Besides, when you get to cooking in it anyway, everything gets sterilized again, don't it? That's right. All the germs, everything gets killed, cleaned out when you boil in it the very next time. So nothing to worry about. Folks, I appreciate you joining me for this episode of The Practical Woodsman. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Now, have a wonderful weekend. I will catch you guys next time. <laughs>